0: Hello and welcome to the DVD audio commentary for The Vampire Lovers. My name is Jonathan Suscott and I'm the author of the book The Cult Films of Christopher Lee.
1: I'm Ingrid Pitt. I starred as Camilla in the film written by fantastic uh, Tudor, Tudor Gates and directed by my fantastic director. Oh, this is just wonderful to look at this film.
2: Hello, my, my name is Tudor Gates and uh, I wrote The Vampire Lovers and I was the director of Fantel Films, the production company. My name
3: is Roy Ward
0: Baker and I directed this film. Tudor, to start things off, can you tell us um, how the film came into existence?
2: Well, I just got back from Rome in 1969, and I'm um, working for De Laurentiis. And the whole of the European industry had pretty well collapsed. And there was just about nothing happening in this country. The only people who seemed to be making films were Hammer. And at the same time, uh, Harry Fine was a very old friend of mine, and Michael Style. Uh, And we all got together and started up Fantail of Films, and our very first commission was to make for Hammer The Vampire Lovers.
0: And where did the idea of adapting um, Sheridan Le Fanu's um, novella Camilla come from?
2: Well, it came from Harry Fine, to me. Harry Fine was Irish, and, of course, Le Fanu was an Irish writer. And uh, Harry was a a great lover of, of of the novella.
0: Right, and Roy, how did you come to direct the film? I had been working for some time, and I made several
3: films for Hammer. So I guess they knew me, and they thought I would be suitable for this particular enterprise.
0: And so there I was. And Ingrid, how did you come to get the, uh, the part of Camilla? Well, it was really
1: quite amusing, because I went to a party Uh, being without work and I got to sit next to a nice little man who I didn't know who he was and I whispered in his ear and said uh, I would look for some work and uh, somebody told me you're a big boss of a film company and he said Mm, Yeah, he was very... um, Yes, he wanted to know more. So I whispered more and it was just fantastic because um, I was invited to go to Hammer the next day and uh, god I love that man I had a great time with him actually and we became fantastic uh, fans and friends and um, you know things were very good.
0: That was Sir James Carreras. Yes. And didn't he offer you um, three parts originally? Yes he did
1: but um, there I was going poshy thinking and um, but he said calm down because you know these are three different parts in the same film no I said whatever you give me I'll have it and uh, I did I did I had whatever he had to give me
0: and were you sort of familiar with Hammer's product
1: well I must say to my own shame that I actually didn't I didn't know what they were And I had once been for an audition uh, with someone uh, for a film with um, Audrey Welsh. What? No. Anyway, and I thought, what? I didn't know Welsh. I didn't know the film. Nothing. But in any case, um, you know, I, yes, in the end got the film which was fantastic, because it's a very long story, because it's Robert a reward and this incredible writer.
0: Excellent. And at the minute we're watching on the screen um, both Douglas Wilmer and in The Shroud, an actress called Kirsten Betts, um, also known as Kirsten Lindholm. Do any of you have any memories of her?
3: No, I don't, actually. I, in particular she's just the first vampire that we see of course it's a very important part and one particular thing she had was this the, the gracefulness with which she played this all this mysterious arising from the from the grave and all that sort of thing
0: interestingly Kirsten now um, is a yoga teacher in Hawaii <laughs> really? um, and and performs wedding singing as well really which is quite a leap from the British film industry Um, and Douglas Wilmer of course had just played Sherlock Holmes on BBC television yes Yes, Um, he's
3: he's a very good Holmes yes he has done it before did you think he's also done uh, not Frankenstein but one of the others
0: he did did you cast the film right oh well the director is
3: always instrumental in in the casting because those are the people he has to deal with Um, but i think that uh, it's not a one-man choice it's a choice of usually two or three people certainly the uh, producers and uh, tudor and uh, and to a certain extent jimmy carrera so the hammer i mean everybody has an interest in who's actually going to appear on the screen, but uh, the, the real uh, very important part of it is that the director has to be comfortable with all the people that are eventually chosen and has puts in a,
2: a very strong
3: contribution.
2: I was, um, I was with Michael and Harry when we interviewed Ingrid. We'd already had, of course, a strong indicator from Sir James' career is that she was a favoured candidate, but I was absolutely knocked out with her. And I thought, because she got this wonderful, sort of mysterious quality, which, which is exactly what the part needed. <laughs>
0: James actually had to defend Ingrid's casting to the Ministry of Labour, who were worried that <laughs> oh, an English yes. actress couldn't oh, be yes. Oh,
4: yes. Yes.
0: found with similar qualities. Yes. Um, so, and, and there was also some talk, because the film was um, bankrolled by American International, of um, inserting Peter Cushing almost at the last moment in his cameo.
3: Yes, I think that's true because um, he really plays a very small part in the film but it was essential to have his name,
0: yes. And you and he were actually introduced to the press at the Savoy, is that right? Yes,
1: and he was the most wonderful man. I mean, I think you probably know that, but of course there isn't anyone on earth, as far as I'm concerned about Hammer Films, as uh, Tudor, because uh, Tudor wrote a story away from a short story from Le Fanu, which um, I went immediately to to read after Jimmy Carreras told me about the film. And I thought, this is very weird, this short story. And when I read the script that Tudor had written, I thought, my God, It's so much better than the short story. And I really, really, really mean that because he's written something that is quite out of this world. And Le Fanu uh, wrote a very silly, I think, to a certain extent, story, which I think was very bitty. And it had a lot of uh, story uh, endings and story but it's it just somebody from Canada asked me once to rewrite this uh, story with a different sort of uh, you know ending, etc. And I really did try. It was going to be different, but it wasn't anything like that Tudor uh, wrote. And I think he, uh, when eight-something, uh, different producers wanted to make this film and have t- tried uh, he is the only one who was successful
2: look at the production values in this by the way for a low budget picture eh? big ballroom said costumes no shortage of actors
0: and the budget was actually less than 170000 pounds
2: 100 yeah that's right. which, and which and
0: even in those days was yeah, not and a lot was
2: 160 that 160 something yeah it and we
0: can talk about the fact that Vampire Lovers was one of the first films um, produced at Elstree under Brian Forbes' stewardship of the studio.
2: Where was it? I wasn't even aware of that.
0: Mm. Uh, well, he,
3: was, he was head of the production for that studio, for AVPC or whatever it was then called. But actually, Hammer was a separate entity. Yeah, that's what um, yeah. Indeed, it had its own being. In There's a big house on the corner. Mm. Well, there was. I don't know it's still there even. But that was usually the house of the studio manager in the old days of BIP, which goes back a hundred years. But um, no, he he had nothing to do with it as far as I know. No, no, that no, was all. No, he, he was running the studio, and, no, and but no, uh, Hammer were just le- leasing the they were no, renting
0: the space.
2: And I know, I know boy and well, boy, but. I, I until this moment, I never thought of any connection at all. No, yeah. no. But
0: he was at the yeah. um, the press launch at the Savoy, wasn't he? Who, what? Brian Peter? Forbes. No, Brian oh. Forbes. Uh, was he? Yeah.
4: I don't think he was.
1: I, th- I don't know. I was so fascinated by Cushing being there that all I did was sit on him and have kisses.
0: <laughs> was that your first big press junket?
1: <laughs> I don't think so, because I did a big, 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 big film... Uh, called goes there, and that was really a massive amount of of uh, dollars movie, and um, that was really my mind blowing uh, experience.
2: Right. If anybody viewing this film goes back to that exterior of the house, I'm sure you never noticed, but I think the tennis courts are. Oh, it's my it's, it's my
1: it's my golf club. I mean, you just couldn't do such a thing, but you see them all over the place, and I thought that was a bit funny. But uh, I think maybe people didn't notice too much.
0: We can see the um, great theatrical actor John Forbes Robertson on the screen. There was some talk that Christopher Lee was offered the part of the Man in Black and turned it down. Is that true? No idea
1: i
2: think he always I mean, does we, we may have established contact with him but uh, no more than that
0: but where where did john forbes robertson come from
2: probably a pal of harry's i should think harry was was very much in the theater you see all his life oh yeah so he knew all these people didn't
3: he? he was a well-known actor from a very great theatrical family of course not that mm. that matters but he was certainly a known quantity and uh, I. I no, I don't think so. Is it was the casting director on the picture anyway. He was offering up. Who was the casting director? I
2: can't remember. The, well, the regular hammer person. Wasn't Stuart, was it? Um, whoever the regular hammer casting person was. Yeah. Um, I don't think you'll find it on the cast list somehow.
0: Because, interestingly, Roy, you later used John Forbes Robertson as Dracula in Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, didn't you?
3: That's right, yes, I think I did.
0: Was that sort of based on your working with him here?
3: Well, of course, yes, uh, one would, you know...
0: Because, would... I, I mean, you know, the character is very much dressed as Dracula, isn't he? In this, you know, the long black cape with the red lining. Oh, well, yes, he turns out to be the master vampire,
3: doesn't he? At the end of the story, the very last shot in the script is of him revealing his fangs and the fact that he has been the the disastrous influence on all these other vampires.
0: But it, but interestingly, Hammer at the time were actually considering using him as a surrogate Dracula if Christopher Lee became too expensive.
3: Well, yes, I mean, studio, production companies always take those kind of little notes as they go, by, go along and along. if we could use him again if we get trouble with this one. <laughs> you know?
0: Oh, yes. Now that's, um, let's talk about Peter Cushing a bit, because you worked with him several times, didn't you, Roy? Yes. What, what was he like? Oh... He was the ultimate
3: professional. Mm. Uh, I don't know which was the first picture I made with him. I don't think it was this one, I think it was before. But however, that doesn't matter, but the first time I met him, whenever it was, uh, he arrived. He's, well, he didn't arrive. He, he rang up uh, and asked, you very respectfully, if he could have an appointment to see me. So I said, well, of course, Mr Cushing, by all means. <laughs> So anyway, we, he was coming tomorrow morning or whatever it was, and he duly arrived with script, ticked and coloured little watercolour drawings of the person that the character that he was to play, with notes as to what was in the character's pockets at the time, <laughs> uh, all this sort of thing, meticulous, professional, uh, utterly reliable, kind. Very gentle and and uh, very good with all the other actors. He was a good in that sense. He was a good leading man. You know, he, they tended to follow his his tone.
1: You must not worry about me. I like to wander off on my own sometimes, dear Laura.
2: He lived at Whitsbury, which is just along the road from me, and we'd often travel up in the train together, and. Um, he was always working, by the way, so we didn't have a lot of time to chat. He always had a script. And he wore white gloves, I remember. Always wore white gloves. Oh, you know? Yeah. And anything. He was a lovely man, very strongly Christian man. Which and, is quite um,
0: ironic, isn't it, given all the films he was in?
2: <laughs> I said, well, not really. He's usually... Oh, you mean when he's on the bad side, on the side of the bad, is he? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, He was going to do a film for me... Once as a as a producer and um, and uh, I sent him the script and he liked the script and agreed that he would play the part. But he when he wrote back he said, However, I must tell you that I do disapprove of of some of the language that's used in it. You know, just quite ordinary words like bloody, I suppose. I can't remember what words they were, but whatever it was, he didn't like it.
3: <laughs> oh yes, he was he was very Christian, but I don't think there's anything un-Christian, about, certainly about these movies. Oh, certainly not. Uh, Far from it. Yeah. I mean, it's rather the
2: opposite. Absolutely. They're like the old medieval morality. Players, yeah. Yes.
0: And now, interestingly, um, his or wa- well, not interestingly, tragically, his wife, who was devoted to, um, died shortly after this film was made. Um, yes. And mm. he became terribly introverted, didn't he?
3: Oh, well, he was... Uh, It was a marriage where they were so much part of each other that the whole thing was one entity and once she was gone he was absolutely bereft and took it, well he took it very well in public but there was no doubt about it that it was a dreadful shock and coloured the rest of his life and he took an interest in spiritualism and all that sort of thing and life after death, resurrection and so on. Oh yes, but yeah. he didn't impose it on everybody else. Don't, no, don't misunderstand me. He was, yeah. In fact, you, you could have been with him for days and not and never know. Yeah.
2: I went into his dressing room once, and I thought he was reading aloud from the script, and he was actually talking to his dead wife, and was quite open about oh. it. Yeah. You know, I thought it was very charming. Yeah.
0: Ingrid, you actually met Helen Cushing, didn't you? Yes. How how did you find her? <sighs>
1: Weird, because it was my father's birthday, a hundred years of this one day that we were shooting. And I said to Peter, my God, you know, and all that. And he then had his wife come to the studio and they made a, a, a cake, a great big cake, for Ingrid's papa. And I thought it was incredible. And she had come all the way from... Uh, wherever he lived and and he was so incredible telling me this about my, my dad and I thought it was wonderful because uh, Mary then uh, always wrote little notes in Russian to me and I thought that was fantastic because I wrote notes back to her in Russian and uh, little Peter happened to be the mailman and he thought that was really good and I I sort of knew her kind of but god Peter was incredibly upset and I mean it's got lots of stories about him and and his wife but the one that really uh, hurt me was his incredible pain and his white gloves and everything else and we went to the 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 funeral of his of his um agent and he said i want to be the one to to be funer- have a funeral and not my agent. I don't want to be the one sitting here on the bench because we went out and had a talk. And I said, you mustn't be sad. Uh, one day it'll happen. He said, it's too far away, too far. And he said, that he's going to to kill himself. And I said, Peter, you can't do that. It'll happen. And now, of course, they are the two happy ones, uh, you know, dancing in the, in the sky with the pink clouds, and they're so happy.
0: It was a great love story, wasn't it? I,
1: I could talk about it a lot, but I think it's too long. I'm, I'm being boring. But uh, it, it was uh, the perfect um, union of two lovers.
0: And did you, any of you actually see much of Cushing after she died. I mean, obviously, Tudor. You saw him on Twins of Evil, but
2: yeah, no, he, well, he was—he was a very quiet person. Anyway, you know, and as you say, he was very introspective after after that. Um, always polite and and courteous, but there was always a slight curtain between you. I felt, you know, I mean, he didn't really want you to invade his world. I think.
0: How did you find him after she died, Ingrid?
1: I just think, you know, like anyone who's lost the part of his life, which means everything. And we had a big uh, sort of happiness in New York with Hammer. And he'd come and I'd come from... Argentina and he said, oh darling, let's go and talk and have a good time and things. And we talked about so many things about her, and he was always wanting to weep. And I kept throwing him in my arms and saying, stop it. You haven't got the right to weep, you have to just cope. And he just said he couldn't, he didn't want to live without her. And, you know, oh, God, it's so, it's so sad. And he was so beautiful. Doctor,
3: you must come at once.
4: Marcella.
0: At the minute, we're also watching um, an actress with Cushing named Pippa Steele. How did you find her? She was very new, uh, she,
3: she, but that was inevitable because she's playing a part of a very young girl, so you've got to have a very young girl to play that part. Uh, so, um, but she was she was fine, she, she um, it's rather a, a, what is it, a, a passive part, really. She doesn't really do very much, she has to suffer a great deal. I don't know
0: what happened to her. She died very young. Did she? Yeah, she died in the early 80s.
3: Good Lord. Well, this was made in the 70s, nineteen seventy. Yeah. 1970. Mm.
1: She was Michael Winner's niece. Really? Yes. Really? Mm. Oh.
0: Did you know why? No.
1: No, I didn't.
0: How did you find, were you, I mean, obviously you'd worked with Clint Eastwood and Richard Burton before, but to actually play a leading part in a film opposite someone of the calibre of Peter Cushing, was that intimidating?
1: No, I, I think it probably sounds terribly uh, big-headed, but um, I always thought that uh, the part was the, the thing, and of course there was Robert Baker, who was the most wonderful man, who all the time was very um, loving to make this film. You were in
2: Where Eagles Dale, weren't yes, you? Yes. And that was before Yes. Empire. So you weren't used to, to I mean you weren't unused to play with the well, stars then, were
1: you? It it was just wonderful. Yeah. I mean to to work with Burton and Eastwood was fantastic.
4: Poor Laura.
3: And the general? The general has gone away, sir. To visit a friend, Baron Hartog. Yes, he wouldn't want to stay in that house. I understand that. Mm -hmm. Mademoiselle Peredot will look after her. I do have a comment on the first thing that uh, Ingrid said, which she said she was uh, a bit bossy or a bit uh, full of herself or something. This is not true. Um, she was um, completely. Uh, well, the first thing that happened really between Ingrid and myself was that we got together and read the script together. And we there and then made up our minds exactly what line we were going to take with all the various scenes and so on and so forth and from that point on we were both very happy with each other and um, there again it's another case where she was giving a wonderful performance and so there was no need to keep nudging her all the time but certainly she wasn't arrogant not by any means rather the opposite she was very uh, um, demure and about playing
0: it oh, Roy you were quite used to working with very strong female actresses weren't you, I mean, well, you back in your Hollywood days you worked with Marilyn <laughs> hadn't you
3: well starting with Marilyn Monroe and one or two others yes
0: so do you think perhaps that given that this was probably the most female based or driven hammer film of the lot that's one of the reasons they probably picked you <laughs> well uh, I must say that
3: uh, i, I I enjoy actors, I, I have probably several different reputations, some of them are not too good but, but um, <laughs> one that is good is that I'm supposed to be good with actors. Now I know that to be true because I like them and I think I understand some of the, the problems they have and the attitudes they develop and so on. And so that that's uh, had not been a problem for many years. And I suppose, as between men and women, I find women more interesting in many ways, female actresses rather than men. Um, Male actors are usually fairly straightforward. I mean, it's Kenny Moore or somebody, you know, absolutely bluff and dead honest and right down the line and what have boys, what are we going to do now, you know, sort of thing. But uh, women are much more interesting than that. And... uh, so that, I, I don't know, practice makes perfect, I suppose. I was, you're quite right, I have directed a number of very eminent females, including Betty Davis, Marilyn.
0: And interestingly, with Betty Davis, it's worth pointing out, this was actually your first Hammer horror, wasn't it? Even though it wasn't your first Hammer film. Previously you'd done The Anniversary and Quatermass and right. Moon Zero too.
3: Oh yes, I had already... Um, we got used to each other, I think, the people at Hammer and Tony Hines and... And uh, Michael, and and certainly James, Jimmy Carreras.
0: And they're obviously very happy with you because almost immediately they gave you a Dracula film.
3: (laughs) Yes, yes, I suppose so. Um, Well, that was um, a question of doing some research to see what the previous Dracula's had been like and what they were doing and how it was handled. Not to follow exactly the pattern, but to try to develop something. The one thing that I liked to do to try to develop, and it's in this picture too, is to stage something, quite trivial incident, but which has no explanation. It's only magic. It's a fantasy. We we have we have her walking us through the graveyard. I think it comes later on, where she just disappears into thin air. Um, there was an, a scene earlier where. Uh, we pan across a bedroom, and there's a picture on the wall, and we go right through the picture. It's not a dissolve. Actually, I had it painted on sacking, so that when the camera got close enough, it would be able to see through, with, without having any holes in it, sort of thing. But right. it's that element of fantasy which I think is very important, because otherwise, you've got. Uh, everything is too down to earth and it is a fantasy after all it is isn't it i mean it's not meant to be literal all the
2: time i think it's very important though this sort of magical element and again that's what i think makes ingrid so tremendous in these pictures Is that everybody else is a a sort of straightforward human and she has this this extraordinary enigmatic quality yes you can believe that she's as it were from the from other world. She's and not the also same. Also, I can always see sort of tragedy in her eyes as well. You know, as if she doesn't want to be a, a vampire. That's well, that's her tragedy, being a vampire.
3: Well, my God, if you read her book, uh, Life's a Scream, it's a, it's a harrowing book. It's very, very uh, uh, uncomfortable to read. Mm-hmm. It's all obviously absolutely dead true. And... and the things that happened to her in her earlier life when she was a child from then on up are really, uh, well, not to be inflicted on anybody. It's dreadful.
0: Angry at the scene where... It's, it's a good book. The, the scene we're looking at the minute, Ingrid, is your famous topless scene. Um, yes. Were you intimidated about...
1: No, I, I, I must say it was uh, gratifying to have Roy Ward make up as the director because... It, he was with so much incredible uh, intellect and uh, careful uh, dealing with the two women and saying, "Look, there are two women having a good good time together and playing around, but it wasn't anything." I know a lot of people when the film came out said, "Oh, it's a, it's a lesbian movie," and I was quite upset because it wasn't. I don't think it was anything to do with lesbians because uh, vampires are not lesbians. They are just important about love, about having a feeling for other people, and she loved this girl and it it, it was such a big uh four, this, this story about her and, and Madeleine and I I mean Roy and I talked about it and and he didn't believe in it either and I just think he was so gentle and so wonderful, and I felt very specifically about uh, Camilla and playing her that I I didn't want cheap sexy stuff in there. It it didn't have anything to do with it.
3: I think the element of lesbianism is in fact there, if do you do? if you want to see it.
1: Yes.
2: Oh.
3: Um, if it had been. Really, sort of drummed home. Yeah. Uh, Which I'm afraid, my impression was at any rate that the producers wanted it that way. And frankly, I thought they're wrong. Mm. Yes. Because they may have a sensational picture, but it won't be a picture that anybody's going to like. No. And this turned out to be a picture that people did like. Quite surprisingly, we got good notices. One Mm. or two very complimentary notices. Even
2: Pauline Kale in New York. Yes, Pauline Cole, did, uh, yeah, did she? I yeah, didn't
3: know that. Yeah, very good news, yeah. Well, there you are. <coughs> and and uh, well, uh, uh, I'm not uh, suggesting for one moment that, uh, that uh, my handling of it, but certainly Ingrid's response. You see, one of the great qualities uh, uh, Ingrid has he has got tremendous natural power on the screen. If anything, you have to, and she understands. You have to turn that down. Mm. She keeps it reined in all the time, but you know it's there, and that's that's what makes her different. And she is different because she is a vampire. And, uh, but uh, I'm getting off my subject a bit, but but uh, her attitude and mine was exactly the same. We 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 strolled through all that. You
2: know, we. And it came up trumps, I think. It was Harry Fine's idea, strangely enough, to, to uh, um, suggest the lesbianism. Well, right, from, right from the very beginning, it was part of my brief, so to speak. And um, uh, and as we've all said, it could have gone very badly wrong, but I mean, I think Roy directed it with, with such great taste. Uh, and uh, just as Ingrid played it so gently and beautifully and sincerely. And so it, it never ever became cheap or, or unpleasant, or even overly sensational, you know. Actually, I remember Harry
3: Fine saying to me the first time we met, uh, he said that uh, the basis of this film was to be a story by Sheridan Lefaneu, or Lefanu Lethanu, I think they call it. Um, there are still Leffernos around, by the way.
2: Oh, yeah, Mark.
3: Uh, yeah, Mark, and no, there's no. one who was a judge, I think. Anyway, yeah. don't um, it, uh, it's called Carmilla. Well, it so happens that I had a book, Still Have It, um, which is a book of short stories illustrated by Edward Ardizone, rather nice book.
2: Mm. Gosh. You know, no, it, I, well, I, know, I know his son, yeah. of course, Nicholas. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, there you are.
3: Um, but it's a good book, but Carmilla is one of the stories. So I knew it from, oh, I don't know, my late teens, I suppose. Um, but he said, you see, I really think, you see, that the fanu was a, a writer, which is fine, but sometimes writers put things down and they don't really fully understand the, the real underlying uh, m- meat of, of what they're saying and he said he he thought that there was definitely lesbianism in the original story so of course immediately I read it again
4: mm, and I thought well I'm mm. sorry
3: I can't say it uh, you know yeah. it's all very well to just because he was a great Victorian writer well a great Victorian minor writer let's put it that way and Irish to boot mm-hmm. That uh, you can say there are all kinds of weird magical thoughts going on at the back of the man's head when he was writing. You know,
2: well, this was Harry's theory. Harry had studied literature at Trinity College in, in Dublin, and his theory was that this was what Le intended, but given the social mores of the day, he could not say so explicitly.
3: Well, that Yes, that's, of course, that would be the other aspect. He couldn't print it anyway, yeah, even if he did exactly. print it.
2: You but must remember, too, we couldn't have made a picture like this in 1965, even. You know, everything changed. It was, it was in know, 1970
0: after... when the X certificate was raised, wasn't it, from no, 16 well, to
2: 18? I, I remember the first thing was the Lord Chamberlain's office being done. away with That was 1968, I think, you know. And then, it, from the theatre, it found its way onto film, you know. And so this, in a way, is why the film has been so popular, is that you know, it opened out, you know. I mean, Hammer had never made a film like this before. No,
3: they hadn't. Mm. Absolutely not. It was the first one for them.
0: And interestingly, the uh, the censors were very worried. John Trevelyan, who was the mm. um, chief censor at the time, actually wrote to James Carreras, asking him to use his personal influence to rein in mm. fine and styles or exotic tendencies.
3: Well, uh, Trevelyan was a personal thorn in my personal <laughs> side. <laughs> and I've never been well. I've never tried to push censorship in anything that I've done, though. Well, the whole sixty years, for heaven's sake. But um, uh, yes, he would. He would obviously put his two cents within, But I don't think anybody took too much notice of him. But it was a first, certainly was a first for Hammer, and certainly it was looked upon as a very daring movie at the time, not outrageous, but nevertheless, very uh, well, pushing pushing the frontiers out yeah, and all that yeah, stuff.
2: Yeah. 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 I knew John Trevelyan very well and had lots of battles with him subsequently uh, as a producer myself. But the thing about this is um, the, the important thing was uh, that there, there was a, you're talking about you know, Carreras mm. telling fa- styles and, and Fine. How to make the picture there was a certain amount of 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 tension uh, between uh, between the two of them but it didn't matter because Roy made his you know if you've got a strong director you know they can make their input but you can't tell a strong director what to do he will make the film that he wants to do that's what a, a director is there for and and in other of the films we made where that strong hand was not present you know, then there's a noticeable drop in, in, in the quality of the film, no, we'll noticeable.
0: Coming, and interestingly, well, this was really the first film that Hammerhead subcontracted someone else to make for them, wasn't it? I believe
2: it? so, yes, I believe so. Yeah.
0: Principally because Anthony Hines had just left the company
2: yeah,
0: and yeah. the floodgates were kind of open for independent producers.
3: Yeah. Brings brings up a point, as far as I'm concerned, as far as the director is concerned, and this is not something which is an absolute fact, but it is quite weird and terrifying I should think to producers all over the world that once they assign a director and they think it's going wrong they are in serious trouble because somehow or other there's a magic in how the director interprets the words on paper into pictures on a screen with the actors and the sets and all the other paraphernalia Um, and particularly how he covers a scene shot for shot. I mean, you give You six directors a scene to shoot and they'll all come out different, mm. completely different. And it, it must be a, a hideous experience mm. to a lot of these people. The moment the boat sailed, <laughs> they know perfectly well yeah, that
4: this man, true.
3: whether he likes it or not, even if he's an out, not an outrageous show-off who's going to, make his name as a director at the expense of everybody else, which you get a you lot do. of those, yes, yes. and of course they're wrong. That's not on. Mm. But um, there's this magic, and nobody knows what it is. I don't know, and I've directed quite a lot of films. I can't tell you, but it's it's there, and it's so,
2: uh, yeah. Mm. It's, well, <laughs> I like to think it's being able to read the author's mind, you know. It's, well, a, yes, it's
3: interpretation, yes, right? yes which often, as, as Harry would say, often goes beyond what he's written.
2: Yeah. And notice interpreting the author as opposed to deciding you're going to write the picture yourself, if you know what I mean, which, which a lot well, of directors tend to do. You know. Oh
3: yes, they do. That, that is a liberty, I think. That's quite wrong, because the writer is the absolute basis on which the whole thing stands. And if he, he gets it wrong, well, too bad he's got it wrong. And maybe a director will come along, or a producer, or indeed a star, will come along, read the script and say, look, this is not right. It should, you know, why don't you try something else this way? And then that, maybe the the, the writer will do a rewrite and it'll all come out beautifully. But basically, the original script is the way it should be. That is the absolute solid foundation. And you tamper with that at your peril. If you do need to tamper, then the only way to do it is to get into a huddle with the original writer and discuss it with him and see whether something should be done or something should not be done or whatever. But uh, it's fragile stuff and yeah. you don't want to mess around
2: with it. We just passed that lovely shot of Ingrid disappearing. It's beautiful isn't it? I mean she really looks as, as though she... Or oh, the one where he throws the knife? No the one where oh. she walks into the mist oh, yes. and just disappears. Yes.
4: Mm. Stop
1: it! Stop it! Tudor just talking about that scene of Camilla walking through the uh, cemetery. It's... Amazing, because somebody wrote a, a song for me walking through that, through that um cemetery, and I really, really wish people could hear this. It was so wonderful. And this man from Australia wrote it for me. And I don't even know his name now, but it's the most wonderful thing. If somebody does that for you, I think it's fantastic, don't you? I mean, to do that. And this scene with the funeral and, and everything else is so sad as well. And I think I I just love the passion and 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 the things in... The scene are just so fantastic. And I really love the way these two men have, uh, you know, uh, written the, the scene and Roy has created the, the scenes. And as he said, you know, you can't just uh, create the, the scenes. You have to sort of put something else in it. And it's fantastic what he put in it.
2: Look at the scene that we just saw, with, with Ingrid. I mean, look at the passion there.
1: I must. I'm sorry. You've read too much.
3: I've
4: tired you. Perhaps. I wish I felt tired. I never do. Not at night. Just sort of excited.
0: But, Ingrid, were you the um, kind of actress who lived with a character like Camilla all day, every day, or did you leave it behind at the studio?
1: I don't, I don't know if, if one left it behind, but um, I sort of thought about it a lot. And I think uh, one of the reasons being, you can't leave it. I can't. Tell me.
0: The cat comes. Interestingly, Tudor, you wrote this um, in what ultimately became a trilogy. Yes. The Kahnstein trilogy. Yes. When you wrote it, did you realise, did you write it with sequels in mind?
2: Well, tangled. I introduced this character called The Man in Black. You saw him uh, riding on the hill there. And um, who was indeed Count Karnstein, you know, And and that was why... Um, uh, <clears throat> That was the reason for continuing that particular um, trend of thought, so to speak. And, of course, the success of, of Ingrid and Camilla. Yeah.
0: Right. G- given that you know two of the principal reasons this film worked so well were Ingrid's performance and Roy's direction, why do you think they weren't retained for the less successful sequel? Which one? Lost for a Vampire. <laughs>
2: There are a number of reasons. I mean, one one was that the producers and the director did not get on. There was a tension between them. And, uh, and as I say, as opposed to a certain kind of director who says, "I'm going to do this my way, regardless." There's another who says, "Oh, right, I'll just do it," you know. Um, and uh, Yuti was very lovely, um, and we were under instructions to use who I believe. Because we didn't have boys, because we didn't have Ingrid, that's why I wrong all people, all people like them, you know.
0: We're actually watching um, probably the film's key lesbian scene. Um, But we're also watching Madeline Smith. What was she like? Because she was again pretty inexperienced, wasn't she?
3: She was. She was. Um, Well, she was extremely good, as you can Mm. see. I mean, she fulfilled Mm. the bill absolutely as this sweet, innocent, ingenue Mm. virgin. Mm. Um, I saw her only about a year ago. Well, not as much as that. Mm. There's one of these um, BFI. Shindig mm-hmm. or something—I can't remember what it was—and she, she, she turned up. She, she walked up to me and she said, "Bet you don't know who I am," and I got it right, thank mm. heaven. <laughs> I, said. I she took me a moment or two, but I, I got it right.
4: Mm.
3: And she was charming as ever.
2: Yeah, she was very good, and I, s- I've seen her do two or three things in the theatre. She was very good. Yeah, very good. You know, she never quite sort of made it so stop. I think she got married. And, uh, Yes, I think that was it. She got
3: married and I think had at least one child. Yeah,
2: so that's what often happens to actresses.
3: Actresses
0: do go away and have children and stuff. And Ingrid, you worked very closely with Madeline Smith. What was your rapport like with
1: her? I think she was wonderful. So wonderful and so kind. But uh, when she married, she rather stopped working altogether, and it was so sad. And I had this little baby. But, I mean, she just didn't do a lot after that. She'll be quiet now.
0: Was it, um you know, obviously being sort of thrust into the bosom of a woman that you've only just met on the set was that complicated or did you sort of have a laugh?
1: No what do you mean? why should it be a laugh? I mean she was just wonderful and very kind but um, to me working together is working together and it doesn't it doesn't really mean uh, things that um, some people find very interesting with the private life and people they work with. I'm, I'm just not like that. I don't know.
2: You have to take these things very seriously. Yes. If you have a laugh about it, then it ain't going to be any good up on the screen, really. You know, that's what acting is. It's believing.
0: You weren't ever tempted any of you to sort of send it up at all? So, I mean, truly, you did a little bit in Lust for a Vampire, didn't you? What? was a sort of sense of irony in that film, wasn't
2: there? Oh, well, I think there's a sense of irony in this film as well, there are a few sort of tongue-in-cheek lines. And, um, you know, one wants to light I mean, uh, it's not a, a total uh, tragedy. Um, but, um, well, I suppose as we got towards the end, I suppose there might have been...
3: Good morning, Mr Eberhard. Good morning, ma'am, Uh, Mr Morton asked me to call in to see Emma. When? Well, when he left for Vienna.
1: Emma is not here. She's
3: gone... No, no, I was just looking at some of the sets in this. Mm. Well, I, I didn't know it cost £170,000. Mm. 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 You know, the, the the great thing in mm. those days, it still is, I think, if so they get away with it, is that the director is shown schedule. Mm and he says yes well, I, you know, he knows what the screen time is and, all that, and he's, he's got a good production manager and a good first assistant so he doesn't have to worry about that anyway so he says yes that's okay as far as the budget's concerned you never show it to the director I had no idea what it was costing or not costing or whatever but when you look at these sets yeah, they are great. fantastic 170,000 yeah. pounds this is yeah. one of Hammer's Cleverest tricks of yeah, all. Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: It, the glamour, I called it hammer glamour. And well, it's
2: who was the cheap, art, but... art director on this? Was it Roy um, Stannard or was it um No, no. It Ken? Ken? No, it was. A um,
3: oh, a Scotsman, yes. Yeah. Oh, Lord, wait a minute. Scott McGregor. Scott McGregor. That's Scottish enough, yeah. isn't it? Scott yeah. McGregor. He's a wonderful fellow. Yeah, he's a regular hammer man. Too, he's he? a, a great humourist, I may say. That's Janet Key. She's she's a jolly good actress, that one. Harvey Hall, who
2: was part of our repertory company, he appeared in all the three films, I think. Didn't
0: he? Yes, he did. Mm. Roles of varying size. So. Um, and Janet Key, of course, is another actress who died terribly young. Mm-hmm. Did she? Mm.
1: Excuse
0: me, mademoiselle. Yes, and what is it? It's Mr. You say too that he was um Harvey Hall was part of your repertory company. Um, but not mine personally. Or your the, Fantel repertory yeah, the Fantel, company. Yeah the
2: yeah. company. Yeah, they were very pleased with him in, in this one and continued to use him.
0: Yeah. Right, so maybe we talk a bit about Fantal. Um, what did you do as a company outside of Hammer? Sorry, what? What did Fantal do as a company outside of Hammer?
2: Uh, outside of Hammer we made fright. For uh, British Lion was it, or EMI, EMI, and uh, uh, and then we broke up after that.
0: Yeah. Right, and and you obviously you made the three films for Hammer. Was there talk of there being any more?
2: Oh yes, I mean all that, the only thing that went wrong was that um, Jimmy Carreras stepped down and handed over to Michael. And if he if he hadn't, if he'd been alive, we'd probably been on our hundred twenty fifth Hammer horror by now, you know. <laughs> Um, but he handed it over to Michael and Michael saw the future of the company in an entirely different way and that's the way he took it it didn't last long but that's the way he took it
3: another thing about this script watch, watching the film again which I like so much there was a, a long sequence uh, uh, previous to this a few minutes ago just the two women and not a word was spoken until the, just when uh, Ingrid gets into the room and says, turn out the light, or whatever it is. That was all that was said in that sequence. Mm. That's motion, that's moon pictures, as mm. they say. That's mm. that's mm. the way to tell yeah, stories absolutely. in photographs.
2: I think you'll find the landlord up there was the president of Equitale or something at the time. Was he? Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, in those days, the unions could be very difficult, you know, so... Well, it was quite diplomatic. <laughs> well, if I'd known that, cast, I probably wouldn't have gone on very well with him. <laughs>
0: Blood from... Uh, some, in, interestingly, around this time, there was a scene um, that was shot, I believe, that was later Cup, in which um, Camilla and Emma are visited by a jester. Yes. Who one, one, of my, Kemp, Kemp, yeah.
2: one of my
3: great regrets. Yeah, it was, it was Kemp. a very
2: good scene. No, yeah. so,
3: for some reason, when the final yeah, cut I know, was I never present, understood why. Some... some Person said, Take it out, and the whole scene came out, click like that. It was, was a very really? good scene, and he did it beautifully. Someone
2: went, on the AIP side was that? I have
3: no idea. I have no idea who it was. Yeah. But somebody did, and it, it was a mime scene, you see, and Lindsay Kemp mm. is a mime. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Was, yeah, brilliant. But I'd had it previously in a film that I made for Rank in the 50s um, called Joe. Jacqueline, uh, where um, uh, a sort of door-to-door salesman knock, knocks on the door of a, a, a little cottage in Belfast and comes in with his suitcase and sells to the woman of the house and she's spending much more than she can afford. Yeah. Mm. And he's, he did it brilliantly. This is a man called Harry Taub,
4: very yeah, famous yeah. actor. Yeah, yeah.
3: And of course he is an Ulsterman, so he did had it right there, there you know. What <laughs> mean, <laughs> and so it was beautifully done, and they took it out the whole scene, boom, like right that, out. I just don't understand, but this Lindsay Kemp one. Then later on, I had Lindsay Kemp again in um, uh, Doctor Jekyll and Sister Hyde. He played a blind <laughs> beggar, mm. and I uh, said so there was a lot of mime in that, and. Uh, that, none of it was cut. <laughs> I'm happy to say. So at last I got Lindsay Kemp on screen.
0: Do you remember shooting that scene, Ingrid?
1: No, I, d- I don't. I don't think I was. was I part of it. I don't, I don't know think whether she was in it. Mm, I I so. So. No, I don't think
4: so. Right. So.
3: It's, it's just a peddler who calls. He called the jester, but he was a peddler, wasn't he? Actually, so he had a trail.
0: It tries to sell Gimp them, yeah. Stuff
3: and he sells cross them, or something, yeah, bits and silly things, whatever. I can't remember the scene even now, but but to take it out was just folly. It did no harm at all, and it was a bit of colour mm. and, a, and, a, and an interesting character for just two minutes, two or three minutes at the most.
1: Is at the minute, dead? we're
0: looking at a um, very distinguished actor Ferdy Main. Oh mm. yes, Ferdy Ooh, Main is a great great fellow. Yes. Yeah. Great Joker, that one. Were you uh, at all influenced in casting him by his performance in Roman Polanski's film, Dance of the Vampires? I didn't be Don't think I ever saw it.
2: Well, had it? It oh. hadn't been made. Hadn't yeah, it? Had it? Had three it? years before. Yeah. No, he was a mate of Harris. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the Richmond around the corner. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Very simple around those decisions.
0: How did you find Ferdinand Main?
1: He was wonderful. He was in my there as well. And, um, he was very good in this, and fought thing. me to the death until I let him have it and it It was just great to work with him
0: now of course um uh, part of this the trick that Tudor employed when you were writing your script was to um take Sheridan Le Fanu's story and actually repeat it on itself by making the events that happened in the story happen twice in the film. Mm-hmm. was that you know? Some
2: suppose probably.
3: <laughs> no, it, it was one of the, uh, I mean, t- Tudor actually solved the problem to a certain extent by simply ignoring it. But it is in fact in the original story. He tells the whole story, first of all, in the first seven or eight pages, and then takes another 30 pages to tell it all over again. That is the fact. But we stuck to it, Tudor did, and I followed him. Uh, he, was, he was right. There was no way around it. I mean, I did give it a lot of thought yeah. as to how, you know, we could get around it or make some excuse for it or whatever, but everything was flimsy and would look like we were... And better not to call attention if if something is a little bit dubious, then you don't draw the audience's attention to it if, if you can help it. You
2: know, There's always a problem when you're adapting, but basically you've got to... Read and absorb all the material then set at the and do what you want to do, you know. Yes. It's the only way. I
4: told you to put those there. Mr Renton, ma'am, sir.
0: But you actually came up with the ideas for the other Carlstein films but, all on your own.
2: Oh, yes, yes.
0: So you are really making to sort of make a franchise out of them?
2: Oh, we would have done, that, yeah, probably, yeah. Very likely. Well, you kind of well the you have pictures, of the, past, of the Kahnstein pictures. Certainly,
0: ma'am, sir. And did you feel, Roy, that um, Camilla Karnstein was a character that could have gone on and on in other films? Uh, well, I suppose so,
3: but it would have to be a repeat, wouldn't it? Um, Dracula was a repeat. Uh, the curious thing about the, some of the Dracula pictures those, those, is that Dracula became less and less and less a figure in these stories. Until, funnily enough, I came along to do the only Dracula picture that I did, which was one of the last of them, or probably the last, certainly with Christopher. And he was overjoyed because this particular story depended entirely on him. He was the central figure. And he got less and less gruntled all the way along with the, Eventually, he was becoming a coat hanger. Mm. And that's what usually happens to a central character, if you keep on repeating it. It's just a coat hanger for the story and the other actors. And so, you know. I
2: mean, the whole point about, uh, about uh, Camilla is that she is reincarnated. I mean, that's the purpose of the character. So you couldn't possibly make a character of her in the sense of, for example, using Ingrid in another film. In any case, I mean, you'd have lost all the terrific momentum of the first part. The whole point is that she came back in, in another form which is exactly what we don't do with
0: that. Yeah. Now, This scene we're watching at the minute with Ferdy Main out in the forest, was this shot day for night, Roy, or did you go out night shooting?
3: Oh, this would be day for night. Day for night in, yeah, uh...
0: you can see. As long
3: as you don't get the sky in, you're all right. Yeah.
2: Was um, it called Black, Black, Blackwood Park, was
3: it? Black Park. Black Park. Night, uh, right next door to, yeah. Um, back, to Pinewood. Yeah.
0: Was Shall there much time. location photography?
3: Oh, maybe. Well, the Who, it was Luton Who, wasn't it? The uh, the grand house where the carriage drives Excellent. up on the yeah, horses, yeah. all that stuff. I think it's it was Luton Who.
2: Mostly just exteriors and forest-type sets and graveyard-type sets. I'm not
3: sure that this was
0: Black Park. I've got a
3: feeling that it might have been somewhere near Elstree.
0: Must have been spectacularly cold to do this, Ingrid, middle of January.
1: I'm just... Um... in I can't feel the cold with the scene of passion like this. <laughs> I'm just I was so oh God, it was just so wonderful. Yes. Really, really good. And he'll he'll have it. And he goes and it's fantastic. And there's the man and in black and <laughs> Yes, cos it was cold, but then being an old pollack, like I, don't, I don't suffer. <laughs>
3: <laughs> now that is the Old Hammer Studio, isn't it? Well, Bray. I don't Bray?
4: think so. Oh, Bray, no. You mean Oakley Court? Cool?
0: Yeah. Well. Ingrid, I wonder, we just saw you with um, fangs. Did you have to go for one of the legendary fang fittings?
1: Yes, we all do. I thought it wasn't necessary, but uh, Fine and, and Styles thought it, it would be more fitting, and and we did that, so, you know.
0: So you actually had to go to a dentist and sort of have yes. your own fangs done. Yes. Did you get to keep them?
1: I did, but uh, some actor once... Tried it on on a, a television show, and he broke them, and I'm very, very upset because nobody ever fitted them, and fixed them, and repaired them, and I thought I should have insisted that the studio did, but uh, they didn't. But they were wonderful. They were very good. Chopped
2: off the head of the we haven't mentioned John Finch, by the way. I thought I thought John was going to be a big star, you know, and, yeah, me and particularly too. when Roman uh, panessky took him up for Macbeth. You don't believe oh, and Hitch put him in a picture, surely? Hitchfoddy. Frenzy, Hitchfoddy. Frenzy, Oh yes, that's all. Yes. Yeah, yeah. he but wanted to be a rising
3: He's a very good, very good <laughs> yeah, actor, very yeah. good looking, and the Baron Hartog. Yes, I remember now. The General. That was where he went. Where is the doctor? It's past noon. He said he'd be here this morning. Well, yes, he said he'd come. Shall I send for him? or you know, I'll go myself.
0: I think also the problem was that like, four or five years after this, the bottom just dropped out of the British film industry, didn't it?
2: Yeah. Well, so it does it, every well, five years, doesn't
0: yeah. it? Yeah, just but... I, the, regularly. But he'd
2: been exposed in America, you yeah. know.
0: But there still weren't that many openings for handsome British leading men, were there? Well, it was, it was an opening for... A, we also um, haven't mentioned George Cole yet, who, of course, became a huge television star in this country um, with *Minder*.
3: Yeah,
0: and this—I mean, obviously, already in Britain he was a very well-known film star oh, yeah. from the Centrinians films. Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, yes, and you worked with him quite a lot, didn't you, Roy? Did *Minder*? Well, it, yes. As well? I
3: mean, the first thing we ever did was um, a submarine picture I made in 1948. <laughs> I remember we were shooting *Minder* one day. And Dennis Walterman walked by on the other side of the road. George and I were sitting next to each other doing the crossword, the usual thing. And he looked up and he looked at Dennis as he went by. Then he leaned across to me and he said, Do you realise that when we were shooting that submarine picture in 1948, he wasn't even going to
2: school? What was that submarine picture called?
3: Uh, morning Departure, big success. Mm, oh, yeah, unbelievable! Yeah, yeah.
0: But but at the time, I mean, f- now forever, George Cole will be in the minds of the public as. Oh, absolutely! Arthur oh yeah, Daly. Yeah. oh yeah. yes, Arthur oh, Daly yeah. to the life. Yeah. I mean. But this this was actually a pretty serious dramatic role, wasn't
4: oh, it? Oh yes, yes. I mean,
0: he's the father, and
2: oh yes. We use, we used George again in in fright as well. He had a serious role to play. He
3: did a lot of what became Arthur Daly in the St Trinians. Yeah.
0: That was a fantastic nice shot. shot there. Yeah, that was, was that one you came up with, Roy?
3: Oh yes, I think so. You've got to know where to point it. This is the real problem with the camera. Yeah. Where's he going to point it? That's what you ask any director that and see what
0: answer you get.
1: I'm very
3: glad I am to make this journey back here with him.
0: Do you think perhaps, I mean, uh, during this period, the very late 60s, early 70s, you were very prolific at Hammer. Um, associated...
3: Well, I didn't stop working for them, it's quite true, yes. They they
2: didn't, didn't want... pay enough for you to stop working, did they? Well,
3: no, there was no money in it. Not really. It was um, very poor. And... Uh, you see, I had, a, I had a, a run of films from 1948, then three years in Hollywood, and then up to about 19, 1960, 61, when Rank withdrew from production. Mm-hmm. I had been at Pinewood for seven years and all this kind of thing. But in those days, directors found it very, very hard indeed to establish a public reputation, unless you were a natural publicity man yourself, like... Carol Reed to a certain extent could do it but Hitchcock of course is the one who invented it (laughs) and so everybody knows Hitchcock and a Hitchcock movie Mm. and of course he left his mark on a Hitchcock movie very definitely but in those days the director was well you know he's an important fellow but um, some some of the producers regarded him as being a rather overpaid technician which of course is not is not at any rate the heart of it.
0: These are scenes we're watching in the Karnstein Castle. Um, was this a set or was this a location that you found? In, I
2: think it sort of, was a set. I think it's well, a most, set. Most of it it looks it like sort of, yeah. looks
0: a bit setty. Mm. Um, They've also um, found these. Um, they were about to find this wonderful picture of Camilla. Um, Presumably you had to go great expense to have an old painting commissioned. Or was that something one of the studio technicians could just knock up? When the moment
2: came, I could not move. Yeah, I remember the picture. Um, I can't remember who did it, but it was very good. Yeah.
3: Excellent. Yes, Scott McGregor found somebody to
2: do yeah, it, I think. I was, so it
3: was cool. an artist, obviously, mm. what well, it had to do
0: and did you
2: Who's have, got that portrait of Camilla? Have you got any no idea? No. Well, nice to have. Yes, it wouldn't. Would, no, no,
1: it was burnt.
2: Oh, no, really?
1: Well, you know, at the end of the film, it just annihilates. It, it's burnt. It, it, everything in that place uh, dies the death. Oh, I'm surprised. The, the, the painting does, don't you remember? i got one design. Yes. Yes. It
0: didn't live. Oh, so did you have to sort of sit and pose for it, or did they still...? No, no,
1: no. It just it doesn't look very much like me, I don't think. But, um,
0: yes. I'd like to talk a bit about your relationship with Hammer that came after this film, um, because you really were sort of Hammer's principal star of the 70s, weren't mm-hmm. you? you know, and you literally became Countess Dracula, the title of your...
1: Yes, I, I suppose so. But um, after a while, I became a writer. And um, I think uh, the acting uh, was very short-lived because there wasn't any work around in, in England. And I did a few television things and stuff, but uh, I became a writer and I thought when I did the uh, one or two things, it it was really amazing because um you know, you become a different person when you write things. And um as as Tudor said, I mean, you know, Jimmy Jimmy's wife got terribly ill and she moved into the country and he went with her. And of course, you know, it that was not
0: um, did you worry that you were going to become typecast as a...?
1: No, I think things like that are silly. You you just keep working and, you know, typecast, is that something to worry about, for God's sake? No, I don't think so.
0: Did you ever worry about becoming typed as a horror director, Roy? Oh, no. Because you did this sudden rush of them, didn't you? These, yes. And um, the Amicus films and...
3: Well, as we've said, they were on offer. There wasn't much else to do. I think I was a bit slow in putting forward the things that I would have preferred to do, or if I did, I got no support. I did an absolutely brilliant script for Lady Jane Grey, Nine Days at Queen, because I'd worked as a lowly assistant on a film that had been made by Robert Stevenson long before the war, Mm -hmm. and uh, a very good picture it was. And when I went to Hollywood, I phoned him up because he was working for Disney then, and we discussed it. And he said, "Well, it's well, a question of whether the right girl comes along." And after I'd done, uh, well, this is all off the point really, but uh, th- that was the sort of thing. Um, if anybody wants it, it's an extremely good script. <laughs> it's historically absolutely accurate. All <coughs> every word said in it has was said by the people at the time. It's quite clever. I loved it. I loved doing it, you know, all the research and so on. It doesn't make me into a writer, really. I just compiled it from the sources, but uh, it was a good exercise.
2: have sex and nudity to make a sale? Sex and nudity. Where? i say you, in your Lady Jane picture. Bring in some sex and nudity and you might be able to sell it, you? Oh, yes. Well, there wasn't
0: any. Um, Interestingly, the film um, came out with a rather obscure co-feature called Angels from Hell, which was a biker film um, that it was double billed with in Britain. But despite that, it did terribly good business. Um, I wondered what you thought the reaction was to the film from the critics and from the public. This film? Yeah.
3: Well, I was was delighted that um, they accepted it for what it was, a fantasy, and uh, done with sincerity and and uh, straightforward belief in what we were doing without jazzing it up, and, and they got all the points and they understood everything that was going on. You didn't have to hit them over the head with a hammer, which is what people, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> that came out quite involuntarily. But um, nowadays, the, the, the one thing that I find very irritating and very difficult to follow is some of the movies that I see, which is very rarely indeed, they just hit you over the head with a sledgehammer mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. and they, they leave no room at all for the audience to do mm-hmm. any work. Mm-hmm. The audience is supposed to sit back, pay for the popcorn mm-hmm. and the huge drinks they have, and slurp, slurp, and just lie back there and gaze at anything that's put in front of them. Mm-hmm. You've got to have them on the edge of their seats, mm-hmm. you know, and get, getting up there. Mm.
2: You must remember Hammer had a big public at this time, oh, but, yes. but also, you know, their films have probably been... Uh, were getting a bit stale, you know, and this suddenly lifted the whole Hammer image. It was another route for for Hammer. And uh, I think, it, in that sense, it did them, did them a lot of good, you know. Um, and this, you know, this was a class put out from Hammer.
0: Do you, do you still, um, you uh, know, get mail, get approached about this film?
2: Well, but, I mean... The, <laughs> Not as much as Ingrid <laughs> gets invited to everything. Uh, yeah, I think we all get invited to the odd fantasy film. Um, oh yeah, junket from time time yeah. to time. But um, uh, Ingrid is the queen, of course. We're we're just our humble servants.
0: Just to an extent, the film really immortalised you, didn't it, Ingrid, as a
1: well, yeah, I, I like suppose it. But the most fantastic film uh, about the vampire lovers was that it made so much money for Hammer. And at that time, Hammer was quite uh, poor and they needed that money. And the money was pouring in and it was... Which which I think, you know, this is a good one because you can see that fangs are on the... Uh, wrong tooth and i thought that was very very interesting about a vampire because they don't have the fangs where they usually go on on vampires but in any case it it was the most uh, money-making movie for hammer
0: yeah absolutely um it was the only hammer film to make a million dollars in the 70s um, in the states did you go to america to publicize it
1: yeah, well sometimes I did a few things and, and in this film I did this with Peter Cushing and it, it was quite wonderful. But the very sad thing about the whole thing in Hammer was Michael, what uh, Tudor mentioned earlier, because uh, Michael was more a musician than he was anything else. And he so uh, wanted to play the the trumpet and and things, and we went to some some night a place in I can't think of the place where we went, but he played uh, the, oh, he was fantastic and I said. Uh, Michael, would you not rather uh, do music than do films because the films he was doing uh, weren't going to do it because they weren't going to get the money and uh, the EMI didn't want to give the money for, for um, an, another film and he wanted to do it but it wasn't any good and oh, it was a big problem and he said yes, I would love to uh, just be a musician, but I mean it just didn't work, and so you know, not very much uh, longer. He he actually died, and I think things. When I think about people who die, it's just horrendous because, you know, in my Eagles Day, I have a picture where they only pick two pictures, two two actors in the picture, and all the other. Uh, her actors are dead, and it's just unbelievable how people die. And so, you know, I just sit at home and write books. Do
2: Jimmy you... always Jimmy looked older than his father, who was only seventeen years older than him, anyway. You know, um, but that
0: that was one of the problems with the tension between them, wasn't it? That there was I don't, so I don't know. small age difference.
2: But Jimmy was very dapper, and very charming, and. and yeah, um, Michael probably lived in his shadow, I expect. Yeah.
0: Do you feel that if um, James Carreras had continued making pictures or running Hammer, then they would have continued longer than they did?
2: Oh, yes. Absolutely. I oh, I don't think the company would ever have folded. I'm sure it wouldn't. I'm quite sure.
0: Apparently, we're looking at the very famous scene with Kate Amara. Uh, I understand there's a amusing incident that.
1: Oh, it's got many. It's just ridiculous. It's um, that the fangs kept falling out, and she kept laughing. And I thought, if she laughs one more time, I really let her have it. And I had one of the uh, runner uh, take his, uh, his gum out of his mouth and give it to me to put it in my teeth and to keep those fangs in there and they sort of finally stayed and it it was terrible because uh, i can't think about it now looking at this scene it's so interesting and john poor john who wanted to be a racing driver uh, wasn't really incredible as uh, doing this scene but it worked and it's, it's the end of Camilla, you know, who walks away and Roy had a terrible time trying to get the vase to sort of get her away. It's just quite amazing. Now
3: watch this when he throws it.
0: Yeah. How did you manage that then, Roy? It
3: was done in the camera, believe mm-hmm. it or not. 20, 30, 30. We had to yeah. film her then take the Negative back to the whole camera, back to the darkroom, wind it backwards to a point that was punched, and then bring it back on the set. And the tripod had to be locked down absolutely tight. Then we would film the the dagger going into the bowl of flowers or whatever it was. Actually, he missed the first time.
0: <laughs> was that something you came up with immediately, or was it a problem that had to be solved?
3: No, it was just a way of doing it. There were probably several other ways of doing it, particularly optically yeah. in the laboratory. Mm-hmm. But it was Murray Grant, the cameraman, who was a wonderful fellow, that well, you can see for yourself. Oh. And yeah, he said, I, th- "I think there's a way we could do this, uh, if you, you know, if you've got, we've got the time to do it." And I said, "Well, we've got the time to do anything if it's good, <laughs> you know. What, what on earth? What else? So, he set it up, and it was his idea entirely, not mine. I didn't think of it.
0: We haven't yet talked about um, Harry Robertson's music, Um, or indeed Harry Robertson, who I understand was sort of, you know, came with the Fantel package. Is that right, Chief? Yes,
2: absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, uh, well, he certainly did a great job on this, and uh, and I particularly love his Twins of Evil." Oh, yes, yeah.
0: And how did he come to be associated with um, Fantel?
2: Oh, he's part of the, the Hammer scene, I think. Oh, who was? Had, had he not done Hammer films before? No. Oh, in that case, I don't know. I, I, my assumption was that he'd come um, with Hammer, but uh, it certainly had nothing to do with me. It may have been Harry or Michael uh, found him.
0: And here, of course, is another one who's no longer with us.
2: Is that so? Oh, dear. I saw him a few years ago.
0: Oh, this is the uh, great beheading scene. This is actually the, the day you first met Peter Cushing, yes. right? And you were in makeup and came and saw him do this, is that right?
1: Yes, it was very funny. The makeup girl said, You have no idea what's happening to you right now. And I said, Well, tell me it. And I went to the set and I saw Peter lift his incredible arm with a sword and took my head. And I I, I said, oh, and oh, he said, Ingrid, we haven't met. And he came and uh, talked to me and he said, I'm so terribly sorry. I didn't mean to do this, you know, it's just absolutely awful. I said, yes, I don't feel so good about it either. And um, so he took my head off. And I think it was terribly good because uh, she really looks like me. Did, I think.
0: Did she, you have to sort of sit and have your face cast?
1: Yes. It, it took nine hours, I think. They had a terrible time. And this stuff keeps coming into your nose. And you keep, you know, uh, sitting and going on with it. But um, it was quite amazing and, and he did it and it was good but there are uh, film uh, cuts where they had uh, taken the head off. It's not in the film and I think it's terribly sad to, to cut that off because it, it was a genuine, um, not that they cut my head off genuinely, but I think it was terrible to cut that off because it was a good vampire f- scene and I think he did it so well.
0: Did you ever consider changing the ending of the book shooter and making for a more, sort of, um, dramatic confrontation? You know, the Dracula films always end with Dracula, sort of, fighting someone, did you ever?
2: No, I don't think so.
0: I don't But you also, you know, actually did the proper stoker thing of a stake through the heart and then cutting the head off, whereas... Previously, everyone pretty much ignored Vampire Lord. As well, I say it was...
2: recall, it cutting the head off had a whole number of technical difficulties attached to it, right, you know. And um, and I can't recall many decapitation scenes, if any, before this, other than, you know, standard sort of Lady Jane Grey stuff, you know. But, um, I, in fact, I don't recall another decapitation scene until, um, until The Exorcist, which was beautifully done. It has a lot of, uh, a lot of shock impact, you know.
0: We are now watching the end of the film, mm-hmm. um, with the chaps carrying Camilla away and the man in black... Yep. Um, ..looking as enigmatic as ever. Yep. Um, When you made the sequel, he returned as Mike Raven. That's right. Was there a reason for that? You didn't use Forbes Robinson again? Was that the reincarnation thing again?
2: Uh, I I, I didn't... uh, wasn't responsible for the casting of it. Um, I didn't know quite why they got Mike Raven. It was a curious... uh, Oh, yes, it's a
3: Dorian Gray, we did.
2: That's right, yeah.
0: How did you achieve that? Was that with Dissolves? series of his any final thoughts Well,
2: I, I, as I recall it Jimmy Carreras never ever saw any of his pictures um, he, he, after he, he liked to, to read the storyline and, and see the poster on which he would sell the films and thereafter he, he sort of lost interest until the next one but I did actually sit right through this one with him I think it was because Sam was there otherwise <laughs> I'm sure he wouldn't have been who is, of course, uh, American international, is, was American international pitchers.
0: Roy, any final thoughts on The Vampire Lovers?
3: Well, I enjoyed it. I I didn't watch all of it because we were busy talking, (laughs) but several times I lost my place because I was interested in the movie, is all Mm, I I can tell. Ingrid,
1: any closing thoughts? just said I like it very much because it's got millions of fans and if people are happy with looking at something once done, I think it's fabulous. It's a good thing.